Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning? Welcome to it. Hump day, middle of the week. Man, what a, what a... What a rainy, cloudy day. <laughs> I walked, looked outside this morning and there's like, it's looked like the, that movie, The Mist, you know, or The Fog, you know, where it's just like socked in. So uh, I don't know what it looks like everywhere. In fact, I don't know what it looks like beyond about 20 feet outside my house. Uh, but it's uh, <clears throat> it's a little creepy out there this morning. Good morning. <clears throat> and uh, thanks for coming on. I haven't obviously haven't been talking much this morning because... <clears throat> Getting all that uh, stuff out. Good morning and thanks for coming in and joining us. Uh, Wednesday edition of the show today. Uh, and we have got, oh, some things to talk about here in hour one. A few headlines and everything else. But I also want to talk about uh, a what-if scenario. And kind of a what-if scenario that's very relevant to what's happening um, here in the state right now. Between the forest fires and the flooding and everything else. Uh, we're going to talk about what if evacuation, and uh, I want to kind of get your take on it and see from you what you think uh, we should do in this. And we're going to talk about that here in just a bit. We're going to open up the phone lines and get you guys involved in that, and uh, we'll talk uh, talk a, a little bit here about the first uh, first bit this morning. Um, and then uh, in hour two, we'll be joined by my friend, uh, State Senator Mike Schauer, who um, who's going to come on board. And we may talk some politics, uh, although this really is the political doldrums as far as that goes right now for this time of year. Not a whole lot happening in that regard, but we uh, are probably going to talk a little bit about uh one of uh, our favorite, both he and I, one of our favorite topics, which is, uh, uh, you know, which is uh, World War II and that kind of era of history. And he's going to bring some special stuff to it from us for, uh, uh, you know, talking about warplanes and other things as a former uh, F-22 fighter pilot um, and, and retired uh, colonel. He, he's going to come on board and we're going to talk about that. It's going to be... It's going to be fun. Uh, so I don't know exactly what, I mean, exactly how it's going to go, but I know it's going to be a good hang session, right? Isn't that what the kid, it's going to be a hang session. I'm sure that that phrase is already out of date. I'm sure that's probably already 10 years. The kids today are like, oh, that is so old fashioned, but you know what I mean? All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's, um, 
Let's take a look at what we want to get into. Oh, uh, before I do, before I do, let me remind you that uh, this week is a short week. Uh, tomorrow is our final show of the week. We'll be doing probably some Firearms Thursday action uh, because uh, on Friday uh, I will be um, I will be starting a three day weekend. Uh, trying to get a little, t I'm trying, I got, it's my birthday next week and you know, nothing is worse than having a birthday in the middle of the week, uh, because you know, <clears throat> it just feels like another work day with cake. Although any day, any work day with cake is still better than not. Uh, but, uh, I've been rolling pretty hard all, all, uh, all summer. So I thought I would, uh, Give myself a one-day break and enjoy some of the things that I uh, enjoy. Some of the things that I really enjoy. Uh, so uh, that's Friday. Not going to be here. We'll be back Monday, and we'll be here all next week. But uh, decided to um, decided to take the day off, which I guess is my prerogative. I mean, my boss said it was okay. And then I turned the lights off of the bathroom, so I couldn't see the mirror anymore. All right. Um, <clears throat> so let's get started. Again, not a lot of uh, news coming out these days. Uh, this is uh, the, the slower time for many of us. Uh, interesting to see that um, the governor finally signed a bill, which quite honestly had not even really been on my radar uh, for the whole time um, of this last legislative session. Uh, and that is the uh, SB uh, one. Oops, I better give you the right number here. SB one nineteen, uh, which unanimously passed the legislature during the final days of the regular session. It basically gives the Department of Corrections the authorization to issue state ID cards to individuals who were in custody prior to their release. Uh, part of the problem today is, of course, is that you need <clears throat> photo ID for just about anything, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, setting up a bank account or, uh, you know, getting uh, getting uh, employment or benefits or I mean, just just kind of a little bit of anything. And uh, up until now. State prisoners who have paid their debt to society, right? I mean, they've paid their debt to society. They um, have been given a piece, apparently a paper, just some kind of paper identification, which then they have to go down to the DMV and exchange. Imagine getting out of prison and having to go to the DMV. I mean, isn't that like going back in? That's <laughs> kind of what I mean. I don't know about you, but every time I'm, this just feels like, oh, I'm in. It's a, it's the earthly version of hell. I'm here at the DMV. Um, but I mean, I can't imagine getting this piece of paper and then be like, okay, head down to the DMV and get that ID. I mean, you got basically nothing. Many of them have nothing, no support system, no friends or anything like that. So it's very difficult. And you've got a state agency that could, in fact, issue you a state. It's a state agency. They should be able to issue you a state ID. And this apparently has been kicking around for a long time. Um, this has uh, this this piece of legislation 
has been kicking around the legislature. Uh, Rob Myers, who is the sponsor of it, is quoted as saying, it's kicked around the state legislature for years and kept getting stopped due to, quote, different administrative hurdles between the DOC and the DMV. Because, I mean, why would the two first and second circles of hell, why would they talk to each other? Anyway, they finally got it done. They finally got it passed into law. Governor Dunleavy signed it uh, yesterday, I guess. And um, so prisoners are now going to be issued a photo ID, a state-issued photo ID, on before they actually leave the prison system. And it's, I mean, the best thing is it's not going to cost them anything because the Department of Corrections also uses equipment to create um, IDs and photo badges and things like that for their uh, for their employees. Apparently, it's a very similar, apparently it's a very similar type equipment to what the DMV uses. And so they're just going to do it right on the spot. Now they say that this uh, that this is a hope that this will help with the recidivism rate here in the uh, in the state of Alaska, which has come down. They 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 talk about the according to the the uh, report issued by the Department of Health, the rate of recidivism recidivism in Alaska stood at fifty eight percent in twenty nineteen. Now you might think. Wow, nearly 60% of them re you know return, they return to their criminal roots and they're back at it. Uh but that was the good rate. That was down from 2013, 10 years ago. The recidivism rate was nearly 70%. How much of a Man, something's messed up when 70% of the uh, criminals are repeating, are returning to their criminal roots. And I don't know, this is obviously a much deeper topic than, uh, you know, I'm prepared to get into right now. But uh, just looking at the raw numbers, I look at that and I go, what, what were we doing that 7 out of 10 offenders return to their lives of crime after being incarcerated and released? Um, I, I am one of those guys that is kind of, I'm willing to give second chances to people, right? In many different aspects of my life, I'm willing to give second chances that if you have paid your debt to society, then you should be treated fairly. And, uh, and I think given, given a chance to prove that, uh, until you prove otherwise, you've been given a chance to prove that you can, you make it. What's happening, though, it seems like in prisons and in the prison system in America is that it becomes this self-fulfilling, self-licking ice cream cone of we put them down so far that when they get out and we treat them all as former criminals, we treat them with the disdain and distrust. I'm not saying that they're all trustworthy. I'm saying... You know, until they show otherwise, we should give them a benefit of a doubt kind of thing. But <clears throat> we make it so difficult in, in many ways for people to reintegrate into society, to get a job, to get a uh, to get a, uh, a place to live, things like that, that it becomes um, 
it, it becomes almost a foregone conclusion that they will re-enter the criminal aspect of society because either A, that's the only way they seem to be able to survive anymore or make enough money to be able to live, or it's the only thing they know because <clears throat> they spent enough time in prison that they just don't have any other usable skills. So it's a, it's a challenge for sure, but this just seemed like a simple step and why it would take years for something like this to be, uh, to, to be passed just again is kind of a commentary on the whole, on the whole legislative process. And, and I guess on politicians as a whole, that they would not want to pick something like this up and be like, yeah, you should, uh, you know, you might want to, to do something about this to get them so they at least have because if you if you get out and you don't have a vehicle, you don't have anything else, you don't have a job waiting for you, you have nothing. And they're like, here's a piece of paper, go down to the DMV, which I mean the DMV, closest DMV to me is 30 miles away, 25, 30 miles away from where I'm at. I mean, okay, I gotta figure out how to get there to get this piece of paper swapped out and everything. It's just it, it you know, issue you a a three, you know, issue you a, 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 a an ID. Make it simple, you know. Going to prison would probably be easier than going to the DMV. That's probably true. That's probably true. At least you'd get three hots and a cot uh, while you were waiting for your ID, you know. But um, there, this is it's it's kind of crazy. But this is a uh, this is a bill, and so kudos to uh, Rob Myers for pulling this off. Uh, and like I said, I didn't even hear about this bill really during the whole time. Nobody really talked about it. And, and I guess the telling thing to me was that the thing passed unanimously. I mean, it's been kicking around the halls of the legislature for years. And then it passes unanimously. What is the actual problem? You know, treat them like human beings again and maybe they'll, I don't know, I don't know. again, this is the problem with government. All right, I, I, I got to go. Before I get into some kind of anti-authoritarian rant about this, just get agitated. All right, The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're going to do a little bit of what if. I, I got a couple stories. I got still got a little bit more to talk about, but then we'll get into the what if segment. And for What If Wednesday... And this is what if you have to evacuate? We're going to talk about that. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, okay, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um. <laughs> Anyone seen Bill or Greg this morning? No, not Bill or Greg. I don't know. Uh, awful quiet down on the Kenai. 
I know they had some power issues uh, down there. Uh, somebody sent me a text message yesterday. HEA had uh, there were some big swaths of power outages, and I guess the backup generator for the radio station or whatever was on the fritz. I I don't know the full story, but uh, definitely a um, tough time down there. Um. For tax purposes, you can just say you're doing company fire and evacuation drills right off the extra days off on taxes. Win-win. Okay. Uh, apparently, the well, yeah, Jeremy's still here, so the peninsula is still down there. Um, don't get me started on the DMV in Fairbanks. Ours is so awesome it moved into a foreclosed, roach-infested, all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. Remind me where all my money for services is going again. Are is it they move the DMV? They move the DMV from the trooper building to somewhere else? Chinese infested but where do they move it to? They move it over towards was it the Royal Pork? Royal Fork? Is that what they were? I don't even I didn't even know. Um all right. Three hots and a cots at your expense. Don Ardwin says, why did it take a law? I mean, it's a great question. Why did it take a law? Why did the governor just, you know, a former governor just say, um, issue them a state ID? I don't know. I don't know why it would, uh, you know. Uh, Jeremy says, I would think that it would help improve the odds of them staying out since you have to have an ID to get a job. They won't be able to, ha to use a no ID. They won't be able to use, oh, they won't be able to use no ID as an excuse. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a great way. Great way. The old Mayflower buffet. So they did. So they put it in the Royal Fork over there on, th wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, over by the comic shop. Uh, one of the benefits of producing your electricity, Jeremy, is says the only time that I know about power going out anywhere around here is on the radio or on Facebook. Because he generates his own power. He's off the grid. Good for you, my friend. Good for you. Looking at the bush and the difficulty of finding a DMV that's actually open is at least a $350 to $750 plane ride to a hub, says Willie. That's true, too. I hadn't considered that from a village standpoint. I mean, wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they did this. Good good for Rob Myers for spearheading this. But again, why did it take a law? And why did it take so many years? So many years. Many, many years ago, I got out and couldn't find an ID. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So, uh, hey, guys, uh, Anthony, what's it like up in Fairbanks? What's the weather? Is it still smoky? Is it still going on right there? Um, It got real nice yesterday afternoon. It was nice yesterday afternoon, but oof, man. In the morning, it was like it was this morning. I walked out there and you couldn't see halfway down the driveway. Kind of crazy. 
Um, I don't think a single ID will pass muster with the feds for getting a job, says Brian. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Um, good morning. Hey, Greg's, uh, Greg's here. We were wondering how you were doing down there. How's it going, my friend? You, uh, you enjoying the beautiful we weather? I hope you guys are going to keep it nice for me this weekend down at Homer. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to jetting out of here. Jetting out of here. Um, I've, I've inhaled my 322nd quart of firewood. That's how Fairbanks is. You're breathing the firewood. Here we go. Okay, we are ready to continue here this morning. State Senator Mike Schauer is going to be joining us at the top of the hour, and we're going to um, we're going to chit chat about that. I'm going to open up the phone lines now because I do want to get to my what if question. Hopefully, this segment uh, I think I will. Um, now. <laughs> As a testament to how great our local telecom is, we're still having a problem. GCI is still having a problem trying to figure out what is going on with the phone system that I'm using to get to my phone number, okay? I, literally. I've had several calls with the technicians. They came out, looked at some of the facilities. I mean, it's just, it's insane. It's insane. But I still don't have my regular phone number. And I apologize, but there's not a lot I can do about it right now. So I'm just going to throw up my regular, uh, the direct line to my phone system. And here it is, 319-527-3864. 319-527-3864. If you want to call in and, uh, and talk with me this morning um, about... Well, my next story or about our what if scenario, that's the number to call 319-527-3864. Okay. So here's my next, here's my next little piece of commentary. Sarah Vance had a cute little um had a cute little uh uh, uh piece in the in Must Read Alaska. And it says, you can run for office too. And it says, from a homemaker to a lawmaker, just like that. She said, on this day, six years ago, I submitted my declaration for candidacy to run for the city of Homer, uh, for the Homer City Council. It was my first time ever running for office. And before that, I didn't even know the name of my mayor. I didn't know the difference between a resolution or an ordinance, much less know how to write law. What I did know was that people needed someone to speak up for them. So I ran and lost bad. But then I picked myself up and waited. I waited until I was asked to run for the Alaska State House. Then I declined twice. After the second time, my husband told me, I think we can do this. So we did. By the grace of God, I have now been serving the Alaska in the Alaska legislature as the people's representative for five years. 
Serving a public office is not for the faint of heart or the weak need. It takes guts. It takes grit, a lot of sacrifice, but it's worth it. My eldest daughter shared with me the quote from Thomas Paine that surely she reflects on in our life. It must, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day so that my child may live in peace. So here we are in August when most people are thinking about fishing and getting the kids ready for school. I want to turn your attention to local government. You know, the guys who tax you and determine your children's education. Yeah, those guys. The same ones you ignore until you're good and mad at something that went very wrong. What if you, yes, you got involved today and shared your insight into the future of this town and could make a difference? I think you can. If a homemaker can become a lawmaker, surely you can too. Now is the time. Between August 1st and August 14th is the window to run for local office in the city of Homer as well as the KPB. You can do it. I believe in you. So, I mean, great words from Sarah. Somebody who I respect and enjoy and... uh um, and am proud to know, definitely. Um, and I know exactly what she was feeling because this is what I was feeling. My God, has it been 15 years ago? <laughs> I cannot believe. I cannot believe 15 years ago. Uh, when I was just mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And I decided that I was just going to do it. I was just going to throw my hat in the ring and go for it. And I won. And then I won again. And um, then I moved. <laughs> I, was, I will tell you, I was so beat down and frustrated by the time I got done with that um, that uh, I, I, don't, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change my time served. It was definitely educational. It was definitely a process that... Um, was uh it was a, it was a it was an experience and like i said and have been saying the last week or so i very much am very much uh, very proud of some of the things that i accomplished in there primarily in the protection of property rights and some other things that were going on but she's right it's not for the faint of heart or the weak need that is 100% accurate. Participants are muted. Definitely not, definitely not uh, for them, for the weak need or the faint of heart. So uh, it, should be a, uh, it should be a very interesting uh, thing to see who throws their hat in the ring. But this is what we talk about on the program all the time. This is what we talk about on the program all the time, that the places that you can have the most effect are in your local community. And that's what she's encouraging here. City of Homer, Kenai Peninsula Borough. I mean, I, I think that we can make it, we can make a difference. We can have an effect probably up to the statewide level, but the higher you get in office, the harder it is to, to try and make changes or influence things or make a difference, so to speak. So this is a, this is a very, very interesting. Um, it's a very, very interesting thought. Uh, so, I mean, I would agree with her is that some of you out there, um, you know, you've been you've been working on it. You've been fighting it. You've been uh, you've been talking about it. You've been talking a good game. Now might be the time that you need to ultimately <clears throat> throw your hat into the ring and see if you can make a difference locally. And maybe it's something as simple as your road service area commission. Right. Not even 
higher elected office, just your road service area commission, your community council, you know, then on to your city council and then may, maybe your borough assembly. But you need to jump into this and um, uh, because it's people like you who don't necessarily play well with others, who are not of the kumbaya mentality. We need a few more people like you in local offices in the various communities to keep a balance in there. That's what we need. Because as you can see in many ways across the state, that balance has been out of whack for a while. Fairbanks is now back into kind of a balance. But that's the first time in 10 years Fairbanks has been in balance. It was definitely when I left 10 years ago. Oh, baby, it was not good. But it's going to take you guys to step up and do something about it. That's just the, that's just the way it is. All right, let's uh, go over to the phones. I got a phone call here. Uh, I want to get into this what if segment. Um, and, uh, and, you know, maybe you could call me and tell me whether or not would you run for office? Have you run for office? Some of you have. I know some of you have. Some of you have served. Some of you are serving. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well. 319-527-3864. Over here we go. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. This is Larry in North Pole Fairbanks area. Hello, Larry. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, a couple things. One, um, I keep... uh, 10 gallons of water and a uh, stack of the uh, 25-year-life uh, meals right by the door. Okay. Along with my, along with my ammunition. <laughs> along with if your ammunition. If anything happens, yeah. I, I've got at least 10 gallons of, of fresh water to hit the road with if I have to evacuate. Sure. And, um, you know, depending on, on the situation. And uh, I've got several boats, and I keep one of the boats real handy if that if that situation happens. And um, with uh, several uh, fuel containers, if, um, you know, the flooding... You know, because I live out between North Pole and Ielson now. Uh, they have that flood control project, but it has uh, sometimes been clogged up with brush and don't work. <laughs> right, right. And but but uh, that's something people need to think about. That and uh, I've got you know my to-go bag with uh, a spare razor shaving toiletry type stuff that uh, I can just grab and go. Um, if you know, if you wake up and the and the water's coming or if the fire's coming, um, you know, it depends on the situation. Which right now it's pretty smoky up here, but uh, um, that's uh, that's something people should think about. Can they leave in a hurry? with right. enough supplies to sustain them for a certain length of time. Right. Well, that was a, it's a good question because, you know, we just saw again, this flooding in Juneau that happened quickly. I mean, literally over the course of just a yep. few hours, the river, the Mendenhall river quadrupled 
in width and size in just a few hours. And so the question is, you know, what are you leaving with? Sure, we could have a go bag, uh, you know, like you said, that has some emergency stuff in it and what you need to survive in case, you know, you don't know where to go. Uh, you got enough to, to, you know, hike out or do whatever you need to do. But the other thing is, if your home is endangered, for example, and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, like the zombie apocalypse or something, you know, you want to have a place to come back to. You have to look at, you know, what are the important things that you need, you know, documents and photos and things like that. And so you should have <clears throat> you should have a plan, right? You should have a backup. You should have some things to do. And this really made me check off a few things on my mental list uh, as to what would I need to grab if, uh, you know, if you had if you had 40 minutes, what would you grab kind of thing? And, uh, <clears throat> that's a, it's a, it's a hard question. It's a hard question to answer, but it's, uh, it's an important one as well. Yep. Yeah. One other thing last week you were talking about the, uh, alien thing. The alien and, um, thing. We were just to, I, just to clarify for listeners, Larry, I was talking about the congressional hearings on UFOs, but yes, it was the alien thing. So go ahead. Um, a real good book, I think. I don't know if you have it or heard of it or read it. it the name of the book is Keep Out. And it's uh, written by a, uh, he's from Britain, and his name is Nick Redfern. F R E D F E R N. Nick Redfern. And um, it's a, uh, Top secret places governments don't want you to know about. Um, high, high security facilities, underground bases, and other off-limit areas. And it, uh, and it talks about, um, well, Area 51, naturally. And then they've got what they call Hangar 18, which is at uh, Davis. No, not Davis. Anyway, up in Ohio, up there somewhere. And um, all these other places that... Uh, that supposedly have alien spaceships and and uh, and alien that have when the spacecraft cr- crashed they they've got the bodies and and um, <laughs> so forth. And they, it's it's a pretty interesting book. And what's um, and what's the name of it again? Just it, for folks who are who are listening, the name of the book is is Keep Out. Keep out. Okay. Um, we'll... Yeah, that's the name of the book, I'll... and and it was it was printed in 2012, and I've not seen a sequel to it since. But um, um, I it took me a while to find it <laughs> since yeah. last week. Yeah. yeah. But um, but I I got more books around here, and I know what to do with. I just. I kept isn't, looking until I found it. Isn't that and, uh, isn't that the story of uh, isn't that uh, the story of our lives? We've always got more books. Well, I mean, for me anyway, it's uh, I've always got more books than I know what to do with. Uh, all right, yep. Keep out uh, by Nick Redfern, and it's available on Amazon right now. You can buy it on Amazon right now. So. I appreciate that, uh, uh, Larry. Thank you for calling in this morning and sharing with us. All right. You All right. have a good day, Michael. Thanks so much. All right. We're up against the break. We're coming up next. Uh, we're going to be talking about...
uh, what if, and that is what if you're asked to evacuate your home. Uh, in Fairbanks, it's wildfires right now. In Juneau, it was just a flood. It could be earthquakes in Anchorage. It could be anything else. What are you going to grab? Start thinking about that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to take your phone calls. What would you want to take with you? And I'll add my two cents to it. Just think about it. What is your plan? Do you have a plan? You don't? Maybe we should build one. Let's talk about that up next. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Yeah. Keep out. Uh... High security facilities, underground bases, and other off-limits areas. Top secret places governments don't want you to know about. Interesting. Interesting. I'd love to uh, love to see what that's all about. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see what what goes on with there. Uh, okay, let me go back up here and get uh, cranking with the stuff. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, um, GCI has nuked the lines. You know what? whose lines aren't nuked? A Pivotel satellite phone is conveniently free from in, the inefficiency of GCI. That's true. Uh, that is that is true. And my phones do work. It's just, you know, the thing is, is that I wanted an Alaskan-facing number, right? It's Alaska-based show. We should have an Alaskan number. Um, and... Boy, you'd think that that would be easy. Not so much. Not so much, unfortunately, sometimes to make all that happen. Um, anyway, um, really came down hard and fast last night and could seal off. No more rain this morning. I mean, it's like I've got the window cracked here and I could just feel the cold air rolling into the studio. It's a little chill in here. Not too bad, but a little chilly. But the fog. Oh, man, the fog. Oh, definitely. Um, Anthony said, ha, it was an experience when I was talking about being on the borough assembly. It was an experience. Getting taken hostage or being in a plane crash is also an experience. (laughs) Oh, man. Terry says she's on an advisory board for the borough. She said, I'm the only dissenting voice. I don't care. And I'm not going to change my principles. Good for you, Terry. Good for you. Um, what Brian says, never go to bed with an empty tea kettle or wood crib. And I'm assuming you mean like a wood crib for where you're storing wood, not a wooden crib for your children. I would never go to bed with my crib empty. (laughs) My child (laughs) didn't put my kid to bed. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Uh, big plus for having offline storage said, uh, Brian. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it seems, um, it seems to be 
Seems like Fairbanks DMV should be on that list if Tony's tales are accurate. Yeah, exactly. Keep out. He was just talking about the book Keep Out, Places Government Doesn't Want You to Be. And maybe the Fairbanks DMV should be on that list if it's over there at the Royal Fork. I had no idea. I had no. I mean, I guess that's more centrally located. I don't don't know. Uh, it's not. I mean, it's not nearly the size of um, the old DMV. Is the old DMV still open, or did they split it up into two branches? I. I mean, because if I recall, that seems like that's about two thirds the size, maybe, of the former DMV. And it would already get crowded in there. So I don't I don't know exactly what's going on there. Okay. But you folks tell me, what would you if uh if you were, you know, if you had to evacuate your home, you were told 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, you've got to evacuate. What are you grabbing? What are you grabbing? Terry says, legal docs and guns. No, that's not bad. Uh, Brian says, cash, meds, and dog food. Also not bad. What else? What are you, what are you going to go out there and just get a hold of? And because you you got, you know, 30 minutes from now, go. What, what are you getting? And, uh. You don't you don't understand how long things take until you actually try. I mean, have you ever tried to pack? You ever tried to pack for a trip that you are like, oh, man, I got the trip and you put off packing until the last minute. How long does it take you to pack a bag for a simple two day trip? And yes, Brian, you should take your wife. I know. Uh, my wife. Yes, you should take your wife. I would agree with that. I would I would think that that would be high on the priority list. That would definitely be it. Sherry says, I always try to keep my gas tank full. Never a bad plan. I mean, when you get down to, you know, if you're in a quarter tank, you know, um, it, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a tough deal. Uh, John over on YouTube says, pack mead and bacon. I mean, I like where your head is, but I, you know, priority wise, I don't know. Is there, John, there may be some other things you want to pack in there. I, I don't know. Um, Terry says she's a last minute packer. She's got it down to a science, but uh, we'll see. All right. Well, we're going to jump into this and, and talk a little bit about it and see what you guys have to say. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Let's do it. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show, the Wednesday edition, the What If Wednesday edition. 
This just I was thinking about this as I was watching. Uh, there's a story today uh, in the ADN about Juno residents who are out on the rivers and on the lakes, and they've been picking up debris from this house that uh, that broke up on the edge of the bank of the river. Two houses basically got destroyed and sucked into the river. And they found, uh, you know, a packet of pictures floating in the water. Uh, somebody found a old wooden jewelry box that was on the shore that had some antique jewelry and some other, uh, you know, memorabilia and stuff in it. And they were able to reunite it with the families, thank goodness. Uh, that's a good thing. But it just made me think, you know, you did. they didn't have much time. They didn't have much time to really think about it uh, before those houses got sucked into the river. And if you only had a short period of time, and of course we saw back in, man, when was it? 2000, when was the Haystack fire? 2005, 2007, maybe. Um, And that was when they basically had to evacuate all in Fairbanks, the whole Haystack area, Haystack subdivision, the whole area out there. Uh, I mean, there was a million acre fire that was roaring and it just took off. And literally within about five hours, they had to evacuate like the whole area. And it was a mad scramble. It was a mad scramble for people to be able to, you know, get out and do what they needed to do. So what would you prioritize in a situation like that? If you haven't run this scenario through your head at least once, um, you know, I, I just don't know what to say. To me, first and foremost, if I was leaving my home and it looked like my home might be lost or was in danger of being lost or destroyed what would i what would i um prioritize in that situation and how would i prepare for that is an even bigger question how would i prepare for that well um so i've obviously i've obviously given this some thought in the past And so I have some ideas, but I want to know what you would get, what you would bring on 319-527-3864. Tell me what is on your mind. Uh, I think people in the chat room have hit hit on this um, uh, and have uh, gotten given some good answers already um, for uh, for this. the uh, the folks uh, in the chat room have thrown out a few things. Um, Brian says some cash, meds, and dog food. I mean, that's something that maybe many people don't think about. You've got animals, right? Well, you're going to be racing away. You obviously are going to take the animals, but do you have a bag of dog food or cat food or whatever it is that you're feeding them? Do you have something to feed them? along the way, where you may be away from your home for a day or two or five. You may not have any home to go back to. Um, Your medicines, absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, in some cases, they may medicines may not be irreplaceable, but there are certain medicines you just can't live without. Um, You know, over the course of a couple days, the consequences of not taking medicines, just cold turkey, can be horrific. Medicines, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Terry says in the chat room, she says, grab your legal documents and your guns. A- and this is something that I thought about a lot. Your legal documents. Um, I, you know, first of all, I'm assuming that many of you have them in one place, right? 
you have a, a file cabinet in your house or a drawer that's got, you know, your titles and your birth certificates and your insurance paperwork and everything else that you may need to, you know, may need to have. I'm sure it's somewhere, right? Well, it also wouldn't be bad to have, although a scan of a birth certificate or a scan of a title of a car title is not legal. I mean, at least it would be good to have a lot of that stuff electronically, right? Um, or in a, in a firebox, right? I know some people, they have those, you know, little fireboxes that you can put paperwork and stuff in. Okay. I mean, do you take the firebox with you or do you leave it in the house in case the house catches fire? I don't, I just don't know. But having the legal documentation in one place, in one, you know, within two minutes, you could open up a drawer, grab half a dozen file folders that have got all your stuff in it, stuff it into a bag or a briefcase or, you know, a, a tote or whatever. Okay, simple and easy. But yeah, the legal documents are a big thing when you have to leave somewhere. Because those are things that take, in some cases, uh, I think the last time I, I, you know, I went to get a birth certificate or something, it was, I mean, it was a process, right? So definitely legal documents, guns, get your guns. I mean, yeah, I mean, many of those are replaceable and usually insurance will cover, but sometimes it's just, it's the sentimental value or it's whatever. And I guess it just, it just means, I mean, how many guns, if you got a half a dozen guns or 10 guns, okay. If you got more than that, it might be, um, I mean, it might take you 40 minutes just to load all the guns into the car. Not load them, but load them into the car, right? Um, Greg says, transfer a tank full of diesel. Put the generator in, guns, food, water, clothing, and paperwork. So he's kind of covered the whole gamut there. But he also makes an interesting point, and uh, I think it was um, Sherry that also made the point that she tries to keep her gas tank full. And that's the thing. Do you have a full tank of gas or nearly full tank of gas at your house if you have to evacuate? Get get out. Get, you know, get things going on. Uh, to me, the... the uh, you know, where are you going to go, says Robert? Well, I mean, away from wherever the fire or the flooding is, right? Maybe you've got um, a, a relative you can stay with or a second. You Maybe you got a remote cabin or a, a vacation site or something or recreational. I don't know. Somebody said I thought they had the great idea. Who was it that just said that? Um, Chris said, just keep everything you need in your RV and hook and hitch. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great idea. You can just put everything in your RV and have it that way forever. It's your bug out vehicle, I guess. You're not going on vacation any anytime soon. You're just going to go. But, I mean, you got to think about this. Now, for example, photographs. I have literally one of those big 12-gallon Rubbermaid totes full of photographs. I mean, they're not loose like a pot. I mean, I've got shoe boxes inside the Rubbermaid tote with the, you know, but I have got two, I put, take all the photographs and I made sure I put them in. It's actually, it's two Rubbermaid totes of all the photographs we have. Now, ideally what I would do is put all those up in the cloud and then probably burn them all to a disc on top of that. Uh, but that's a project for when I have a lot of free time or, you know, maybe I take them down to somebody and say, Hey, do all these. But, uh, yeah. I, I have them all in a couple totes so that if things anything happened, 
I can grab those two totes go in first. All the photographs goes in first and then the guns and then the medicines. And I've already got by the time there, I've already got the two, you know, the file cabinet drawer with a half a dozen different file folders that goes in the backpack. I got this. I got that. I mean, but you, you have to think about that. You know, your jewelry, your <laughs> Donna says shoes, art jewelry and shoes. Okay. I mean, I guess shoes, it depends on who you are. Depends on which shoes you have. I only own two pairs of shoes, so to me, that would not be hard. Throw the second pair in and wear the one. But what would you, you, you should be thinking about it. That's all I'm saying. You should be thinking about it. What would you grab and when? All right, we got to go. Hour two, dead ahead. Yeah. Birth certificates, social security cards, important documents. That's exactly it. And they all need to be in one place. I mean, some of you are very organized. I mean, I'm sure some of you have got like, you know, labeled and alphabetized and everything else. And I'm not quite that good. I do have everything in a single file cabinet. Sometimes they're a different file, but I mean, all I have to do is reach in there and grab a handful of file folders, you know, and that's pretty much everything in one, in one go, you know, that's everything in one go, but yeah, you got to have those documents. You just have to know. Brian also makes an important point. You need to have important phone numbers consolidated, family, friends, family, doctors, banks, all those numbers. You know, and whether that's in your phone or written into uh, some paperwork that you have in your file folders, that's all good stuff. Um, Greg says plan A is to go to his cabin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you may have a cabin. You may have a, a family retreat or recreational place that you go or, you know, or if that's if that's good, great. Maybe you're down in Homer and you got a boat you can go live on for, you know, it's big enough to live on for a little bit. I don't know. Don't forget your slippers. Um, I'm more of a bug in type person, says Jeremy. If there's a fire and everything burns, I can always come back and rebuild. Well, that's that's the point. I mean, yeah, you want to bug in. I, I love these stories. I'm bugging out to wherever. Man, I will always hunker down until I absolutely positively would have to leave where I'm at because it's so much easier. Right. But if you've got a fire raging down on you or a flood is undercutting where your house is built near a river, you got to make a decision to get that done. Um, Jeremy says, I keep my ID card and my social security card in my wallet. I can get any of the documents I need with that. Well, yes, you can. But if you've already got, you know, titles to your vehicles, title to your land, property deeds, um, you know, uh, 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 birth certificates, insurance paperwork, any of that stuff. I mean, you may have it up in the cloud for contracts and things like that. That's great because you've got copies of it. But if you like a like a birth certificate or a car title, you have to have physical copies of those. So. And then Brian says, ha, 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 organized, ha, 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 make me laugh again. I am not the most organized person. I'd be the first to tell you that, but I do at least have them in a file cabinet. Uh, 
If I had to, I'd load the whole file cabinet out. Just in case. Uh, and Richard says, put uh, copies of all important photos and documents on a thumb drive as backup. Exactly. Like I said, I have got two 12-gallon Rubbermaid totes full of photographs. My goal one day is to basically digitize them all, put them on a scanner and, you know, scan them up into the cloud. But until then, I mean, we've got photos that we've all taken with our phones and they're all up in the cloud and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's one thing I will say that I would grab on the way out the door. I wouldn't grab any, probably any of the equipment in this studio because, I mean, if a fire's coming or whatever, this is all replaceable. But I would more than likely grab the computer box that has the main thing. And I have a mass storage drive in my in my studio, outside the studio here, that has all the, it's got everything in it, Right. Uh, including family photos and st- data and stores and, uh, you know, old shows and everything. I mean, it's a box. It's the size of a large book. I would pick that up and take it with me. Throw that in the car. So it, um, it, it's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thought exercise. What would you take with you? Quite honestly, the things that would probably be the hardest to load or to take the most time would probably be the guns because, you know, one or two in each hand on the way out the door, unless you got them packed into rolling Pelican cases and you could just stack them and rack them in the car, away you go. You're going to need a bigger car. Yeah, you're going to need a bigger car. I uh, <clears throat> I mean, I drive a Mini Cooper. I, I mean, I... Probably could fit the two totes of photos and uh, some guns and some uh, clothes in there, and then away you go. And that's the other thing, clothes. What are you taking with you? What are you taking with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would add my grandfather's carving and uh, my mother-in-law's painting. They're gone and they can't be replaced. Exactly. The things that have sentimental value that you know are not coming back. There's no way to replace them. Those would be at the top of that, like the photos and things. I mean, photos that aren't digitized that you can never get back. Absolutely. Right. History and memories and things like that. That's the stuff that is important. But again, you've got to prioritize, you know, with a time frame, how much time do you have unless you've gone to the trouble of organizing them enough to be able to grab and go. Yeah. Um, and your wife, your car just got really small, said Brian. I mean, luckily I do have my Jeep. I do have my kids. My kids have got a Jeep. We've got, we got enough cars. We could caravan some stuff out of here. And my wife's got a car with a trunk big enough to put, what was the old joke about putting this trunk's big enough for three dead hookers. I mean, I don't know. It's a big trunk. You could have a, you could, a whole, a whole family of raccoons could live in there in style and comfort for years. So we'll see what happens. And don't forget your pets. I would never forget my pets. We said it earlier. You need to bring some pet food. Just in case. Just in case. Okay. uh, We're coming up on it. Here we go. We're going to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show continues. State Senator Mike Schauer, our guest. Maybe we'll ask him what he would do in that regard. The Michael Duke Show. Here we go.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome to Hump Day, middle of the week, downhill slide to Firearms Thursday, because there is no Firearms Friday this week. I uh, note, programming note, I am taking Friday off. Uh, because it's my birthday next week, and um, it just sucks when your birthday's in the middle of the week. Like, I mean, who? I mean, it's just as I said earlier, it's like just a regular day with cake. Not that you know. I mean, any day is made better with cake. I will say that right off the bat. But I mean, I wanted to have a little time downtime with just me and the missus and hang out and go see our favorite places and you know do stuff like just relax a little bit. So I'm taking Friday off. I'll be back on Monday. Be here all next week. I'll work through my birthday. I'll take one for the team. It'll be fine. Not that I ever didn't work on my birthday up until the last few years. And then I decided I'm old enough. I should be able to do that. Uh, Anyway, uh, we're going to, uh, we'll be off on Friday. So tomorrow we'll be doing some firearm stuff. And we might be talking to Maya McGinnis from Citizens for for Responsible Budgets uh, at the federal level about the federal deficit. I don't know yet. We'll see. Anyway, today we're going to continue uh, here with the program. It's kicking off in just a hot second with State Senator Mike Schauer, who's going to be joining us. And we may talk a little politics, but I thought maybe, you know, we were talking about World War II history and Wake and Guam and Warbirds and Midway and and uh, just all different kinds of stuff. Uh, we'll probably talk about that. We just finished up with a little bit of a segment of What If, which... I I like to think about, I like to talk about because it feels such a sense of accomplishment when I develop a plan, right? When I have a plan, when I think something's going to go wrong and I have a plan, it's great. Uh, and so we were talking about, you know, we got wildfires in Fairbanks. I mean, Fairbanks, the whole area around Fairbanks, it was a slow fire season. And now everything's on fire around it. And people are like, what do, you know, what do you do? The Salter River, if you've got cabins and places up there that they're evacuating, you're on ready, set, go. They're at the... They're at the set part of Ready, Set, Go. Uh, We just had Juno. Those two houses got sucked into the river. And that happened over a period of just a few hours. So the question was, what would you, if you had to evacuate in an hour, what would you take? And have you planned it already? That's the question. Have you thought about it? The last last point you want to think about it is when somebody calls and says, you got to go. And now you're like, now I have to think about it. You already want to have a plan in place, and that's what we were talking about. What would you grab? What would you? What would you take with you? What would you be? For, how would you? Is it already set up? 
Like I said, I put all my photographs in a big 12-gallon Rubbermaid tote inside little boxes inside the Rubbermaid tote. So I can just pick the thing up, grab it, and go. Because those are things that are irreplaceable. rest of the stuff is just stuff. You know, documents, photos, artwork, jewelry. I mean, what are you, what are you taking with you? Um, so it was an interesting discussion. I enjoyed it. Maybe we'll 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 got State Senator Mike Shower up uh, on the uh, in the green room right now. Uh, we'll kick things off with him. Maybe we'll talk with him first about that to see what he has to say about it. How about how about that? Let let's go over there and see what he's doing right now. Good morning, my friend. How are you today in this beautiful cloudy? I don't know how it's like down across the valley where you are. Here it's like I'm living in the clouds. I don't know what it's like down there, but it's a little froggy over here. What's going on, sir? Can't see the mountains, and it's raining here too. It can't see so, the mountains, and it's raining. Yeah. It's summer, summer in Alaska, summer in Alaska. Okay. So how's it been? We had sir? summer last week, Mike. It lasted for a whole week. Yeah, I got. I mean, we got about a week's worth of summer. That was about that. We're due. We're due for some snow now. Just look for that to come here not too long from now. Um. So uh, how's it been, Mike? How, how are things going? Well, uh, busy. Uh, mostly flying doing my other job that pays the bills uh there is little to nothing happening and happening in the political world and i said we don't really plan on talking about that so we don't have to go there this morning yeah as painful as that is uh, pretty quiet um all the damage has been done for this year by the senate majority so you know hey what else is there to talk about right now on that one until next year right right um Hey, uh, you know, you're, hey, you're, spe- the you're speaking to my did their duty. So done with that one. Moving on. Yeah, you're so. speaking to my pain because I mean, you go to do try and do show prep, and you're like, well, there's really no stories to rant about. So we're talking, but that's why I mean, again. So uh, hey, so let me ask you if uh, if you got the call this morning, and they said uh, wild forest fire, rabbit herd of moose. I don't know whatever it is is on your way. Do you, you've got an hour to evacuate? What, uh, you know, what are you have a plan? What, what would you be grabbing in an hour? Just think about that for in an hour in your beautiful Alaskan home. You got all this stuff. What do you grab? What are your priorities in a situation like that? Well, I heard you say photographs and there's certainly some value in that, but I think it depends on the amount of time you have, right? I mean, if you give an hour, that's actually seems like a lot it's not but it's longer than you think it is if you have a plan because you're executing and that's the key right mike military things like always have a plan right. but the other, the other part of it that you didn't mention or you guys might have talked about was what's your backup plan right because you better have a plan and then you have better have a backup plan because as the saying goes no contact or no plan survives first contact with the enemy the enemy being, being whatever it is the rabbit moose i guess um so what I would do personally in that amount of time is, you know, the first and foremost thing is what, where are you going? In other words, are you going to a shelter, to a friend's place? Are you going to an unprepared location? Cause that matters right on what you're going to take with you on, on what you might throw right. in the truck right, uh, or car or, or however you're doing it. But, you know, and is it short term? Is it the zombie apocalypse where you may not be coming back? But that's a whole different story than, you know, you're hoping that your house is going to be there cause it's a, it's a flood disaster, something, you know, a earthquake, you know, whatever it might be. So for me personally and our family, we certainly talk about this stuff a lot and we plan for it. Um, we have the go bags, right? Throw in the truck. And that's like, the, you know, you got minutes um, to get out. Like right now, that would be a go bag type thing where you're taking just the bare essentials. You know, you have some medical 
um, because depending on what it is, you might need it. Um, I always have the little uh, life straws with me, you know, the water life straws, because right. wherever you go, the right. one thing you may need is, is water and they'll filter anything. So the basics are some paperwork. So, you know, wallets, uh, money, passports, you know, some of the things that can get you around that you really can't replace, um, a water source, some medical type stuff. And then usually, you know, you always have a couple change of clothes and dressing for the weather, right? Because we have the logistical challenge up here that you also have to think about if it's uh, <laughs> January. That is very different um, here in Alaska than January might be in Florida, where you can, you know, pretty much throw a flip-flop shorts and t-shirts and you're good to go. Right, so exactly. I, I say all that because I know you guys probably talked about this in the last hour, but um, it is a little bit situationally dependent in Alaska. Um, but if I had more time, and in my case, I think, and you guys were talking about it for an hour, I'm packing much more in the truck depending on those situations. So right. it's hard to just answer straight up. But if I have an hour, there's going to be quite a bit of stuff in the vehicles and it's probably going to be more than one um, because yeah. we have things that we can take just like you have packed and throw in there. So they're going all at once as opposed to going through everything. Cause you're not wrong, brother. If it, if, somebody calls and says you need to get out now or you have one hour and you haven't thought about it you're going to be a disaster yeah so. you'll spend 20 you'll spend 20 or 30 minutes trying to figure out what you're going to pack and, and you know you'll, you'll walk out yeah. with the is the saying goes you'll walk out with the hair dryer and uh, your dress shoes and <laughs> and you know your laptop yeah. none of which will be useful for what's happening exactly so. no and i think there's some basics for any of this right i mean there's some basics regardless of what the situation is whether it's whether you have 10 minutes to get out or whether you have an hour to get out, there are some basics, you know, like you said, the documentation, you know, your, your, your birth certificates, your car titles, your land deeds, um, and your passports, your, your IDs, that kind of stuff. That's, you know, grab one handful of folders out of your file cabinet, stuff them in a backpack. You're good to go, but at least have everything organized to, a, I mean, to a point of having that available, your personal medicines, right? Things that you can't replace, you know, that uh, you couldn't replace easily or it quickly, uh, your medicines, you know, your dog food. If you got dogs, you're loading dogs. You're going to need some food for that dog. You got to think about that, you know, and then, like you said, some clothes, some basic toiletries, um, you know, uh, anything of value that you can't be replaced, you know, sentimental value, whether that's, you know, small knickknacks or pieces of art or photographs or whatever, those are important, but none of those are worth your life. But I mean, they are important. So if you have them available and ready to go, grab them. Um, and then, yeah, where are you going? Well, it's all situational. We don't know where you're going. You could be going to a friend's, you could be going to a, your, your, your recreational cabin. You could be going to a hotel or a shelter. You may be living out of your car. You just don't know, but at least you should have some kind of plan for just the basics of getting out of there. And yeah, go bag is great. Go bag is great. Um, that's the first thing that you go into any vehicle. Uh, and then everything else. And of course, you know, your firearms or whatever else you can't, uh, uh, that, you know, you don't want le left laying around. And if you, if it's like a wildfire or something and you think your house might burn, anything that can't be replaced, it should be on a list somewhere of grab that, that, and that. If you have the room and everything, that's the other thing we were, they were joking because I drive a mini Cooper and they're like, how much are you going to be able to get in your car? Well, <clears throat> Me and my wife, that's the important. No, but I mean, you know, you, you so you have to think about that stuff. I, I guess my whole point is, you know, planning ahead 
brings peace of mind. At least you know that if something happens, here's what you get, you know, here's what you do. You grab this, you grab this, you grab this, you at least can survive and you're good to go. Any other extra time on top of that just gives you that peace of mind to be able to take stuff that is irreplaceable. So it's one of those things. That's the point, Mike. It's just have a plan. Think about it. For most things, if you've at least put some thought into it, it will go much better and much more smoothly as chaotic as it will be than if you have not thought about it at all. So, and this is something that, you know, I've actually lived through hurricanes, you know, growing up down south. Um, and that's an interesting one because usually you have days to prepare for it. And still people are, you know, kind of going nuts because just what do you take with you? And you don't know if your house is going to be there when you get back, depending on where you're at. And that certainly happens. So, you know, it, like I said, it can go from minutes to, you know, hours to days to be prepared. Yeah. And I think you have to think in levels. And yeah. if you've put thought into it, that, like you said, is, is, perhaps the most important part is you've thought about it ahead of time. If you wait until the last minute, um, it usually doesn't go well. Yeah. No, and it's interesting. Again, uh, Juno has had the floods where people, I mean, and that happened. Uh, the one quote that I saw from the guy, he said, I was there in the, I think he said he was there in the at midday or whatever, and the river was fine. And uh, just a handful of hours later, three, four, five hours later, it was four times its normal width and it was carving through the, 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 you know, you just don't know. You have very little time in Fairbanks when they evacuated the haystack area during the forest fire back in 2007, they, it was the same kind of thing. They literally, those folks had literally less than like two or three hours notice to get out of there because the forest fire was moving so fast and you have to think about it. You know, again, you don't want to be struck at the moment that it's on you then to have to try and make a plan as to what you're bringing. You should at least write, you know, if you do nothing else, take a little notebook out and say, what am I keeping? What am I, what am I grabbing first? It's just, it's a, it's kind of a commonsensical thing. And then of course you have to decide where am I going? What am I doing? You know, if this happens and what's that, you got plan A, you got plan B, that's fine. But uh, it uh, it's it's definitely something that we should be thinking about. Um, <clears throat> I always want to hunker down, right? I always want to bug in. I'm not bugging out if there's a big event. But if something like that's coming where there's a forest fire and it's burning the whole neighborhood down, well, then you have to make a decision, you know, uh, and you should have that plan. Uh, you should have that plan well ahead of time. Uh, Mike Showers, Mike Showers, right Mike Showers, our guest. We're going to continue with him here in just a second. What are we going to talk about? Well, I don't know. We keep talking about this. We can talk a little bit about warbirds. I know that we were talking uh, last time we discussed maybe talking about a little World War II history and Providence and I don't know. Just we're gonna we're gonna hang. It's a hang session. I don't know if that's what the kids say, but it's a hang session. Me and Mike just hanging out. Back with more of the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return. Mike Shower, our guest, on the other side. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Mike Showers, our guest here on the program. Ed, Greg, uh, excuse me, Greg makes a great point. Um, nope. 
this one. Uh, Firewise your house ahead of time. I mean, that's a good point, too. Uh, I mean, you should be prepared in, uh, you know, in uh, in doing that kind of stuff, um, at least brushing out and doing stuff like that. I know some people have got like trees in their yards that are aesthetic and they like that and they're up near the house and everything. But I mean, if a forest fire is a mile away and moving in your direction, it might be time to break out the chainsaw and start chopping some of that stuff down and getting it out of the way, you know, uh, at that point. It's a pretty good uh it's a, it's a, it's not a bad idea to at least have a, but you got to have a plan. You can't be, that's the thing. People are like, it'll never happen to me. I mean, that's a, that's a big thing here in the country. It seems like we're too big to fail. It'll never happen to me. And then when it does, they're shocked, shocked. I tell you that it's going on. At least if you've considered it and have some kind of idea or plan, you won't be, you know, analysis paralysis. Like, I don't know what to do. What do I, where do I start? You know, kind of thing. You at least have got that in there, and I think that's a I think that's a good thing to uh, to 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 uh, keep in mind. Well, it is. Um, there's no doubt, and everybody's got a plan. People talk about being firewise. That's great um, for your house, but that's just one instance, right? You know, we don't fortunately have hurricanes up here, but um, you know, I'll go back to the this past winter, right? Um, somebody will have a plan, but for every plan, mother nature or the universe can throw something at you. You don't see coming. So you also have to be responsive. So I said, not only do you have a plan, but you have to have a backup plan and perhaps a backup to the backup. Right? So what, what happened last winter? Uh, we didn't have a typhoon come through or a hurricane. We didn't have an earthquake. Um, we didn't have a fire, but we had a wicked winter storm that knocked out power, froze yeah. roads, oh, yeah. um, locked people in with six, seven foot berms that the trucks couldn't get through. Yeah. Um, so what happens then? What if the power goes out and uh, you didn't have enough wood? What if the power goes out and, you know, for whatever reason you weren't uh, counting on it, there, there could be your chimney got knocked off in the wind, so you can't use your fireplace. I mean, the point is, Mike, you can, for every plan, you can have a counter to that and say, well, what about this? And so having a plan and having thought about what you would do is perhaps the most important thing because that at least you've done the mental exercise on how you move through it and what you would do. Right. So, um, you can, what if everything to death and you can say, well, you know, you can absolutely come up with a scenario that you can't survive. That's true, but we're human and we want to survive. So the point is, is that we can think of a scenario that goes would drive you to do what you're talking about, right? Come up with something and say, I've planned for all these things. We'll have you plan for this. No. Okay. Now that happens. What are you going to do? That's where you're at with this, right? You go, okay, I'm, I've got the basics, Mas, Maslow's hierarchy. You know, you got to be able to do your physical needs, food, water, safety, medicine, you know, what's next shelter in place or shelter period, right? We had people up North um, in the district. Remember, remember that big storm we were talking about it. We were calling the guard out, getting them to people that we hadn't heard from for two weeks. And there were people camping out inside their tent, inside sleeping bags and cots inside their house because their house was down to freezing temperature or below freezing. And that's the only way they could survive. You know, and I go, okay, there you go. That's a plan. It wasn't a great plan, but they had a plan and they survived it. Why? Because they thought outside the box, they didn't sit inside their house freezing. They pulled out their camping gear and they went camping inside their house. So their house was at least dry, warmer than being outside in the wind with all of the snow, right? And then they got smart and got inside their tent, which made it warmer. They got inside their sleeping bag, so the tent made it even warmer. You know, they were melting water and they survived. So 
anyways, be adaptive, you know, yeah. think about it, but be adaptive. Well, something it's, may happen. You can never plan for it. I always used to have to laugh because I used to get a, a, a kind of a sick fascination watching a show like Doomsday Preppers or something. And they always asked the people that they had on the TV at the time, well, what are you preparing for? I'm preparing for global thermonuclear war. I'm preparing for the bird flu. I'm preparing for the collapse of the dollar. Or, you know, it was always like some specific event. And I'm like... I just kind of want to be prepared for anything, right? So you got your basics. Like you said, you got to start with the basics and then go from there. You know, it could be something as simple as a forest fire is raging through your community. And maybe you should think about what are the basics for that? I don't need a bunker to be able to do, to deal with something like that. Right. You know, um, yeah, most people can't afford that anyways, Mike, it's just life. Life happens. Just yeah. got to be prepared for it. Doesn't yeah. mean that. You know, the meteor is going to strike tomorrow and we're all dead. Big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just life happens and there's certain things that we see that, um, especially gotta, living here, let, gotta, winter. Got to go. Happens. Hold the line. Here we go. I know. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Hey, we're back. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. It's kind of a free-form day. Uh, what if Wednesday, uh, kind of whatever. Joining us on the program today, State Senator Mike Schauer, just because we wanted to chat and see what was going on and, and talk about anything. Um, Mike, what do you want to talk? I mean, I <clears throat> I could keep talking about this all morning, but what do you – we've been talking during the break, by the way, about more what-if scenarios. And I think Mike made a very interesting point, I guess, before we move on, where he said, you know, it could be all these different things, uh, from global thermonuclear war to, to a simple forest fire, but everything in between – you don't need to plan for specifics. You need to plan for generalities, and you need to have that basic needs fulfilled, food, shelter, clothing, medicines, those kind of things. And then anything above that is kind of bonus points at that point. But I think that's the point, is that you just kind of need in general to be ready for anything and have those basic needs taken care of, Mike. Yeah, that's right. And like I said, it's February. I saw some of the comments. I ignore some people all the time, obviously. <laughs> but um, you can think of a scenario this is the last point we'll make on this one but i think you can think of a scenario somebody goes well i plan for that i plan for that you can find something to tell everybody that you didn't plan for this one right that's why i brought up the winter storm right it's like well with forest fires and all these different things i'm like well we had one nobody saw which was the the winter storm that shut off power for weeks in places we had people sheltering in place in their house inside sleeping bags inside a tent inside their house to survive so you can think of something that can happen. Just, you know, the, the bottom line, like I said, just be prepared, Mike. Have a plan. Think about it. Be adaptive. Be ready. Have some basic supplies and then do what you have to do to make it work. I mean, right. that's, that's the life that we live. Things happen that you can't foresee. Yeah. And that's the human condition. It always has been, always will be. We're a heck of a lot better off than our great, great, great ancestors, you know, living in caves that had no ability to foresee anything or have ability to prepare, you know, ahead right. of time they had to live in the moment. So, Hey, we're doing pretty good. I got coffee. Yeah, no, I would, I guess I would say just the one thing is at least sit down and write out a plan. And if nothing else, you've done that. And at least if something happens, you're not struck with, now you have to make the plan on the fly while you're there because you have an hour, but at least, you know, if you had it written down and said, this is what I need hierarchy of needs as you said i've got a plan and we can move on from that we could just check off the list 
And really what you're doing, Mike, is you're training. You're training yourself, your family, et cetera. Why do police train under stressful scenarios? Because those are things that have happened. Why does the military train its people to, you know, do the different things that we do? Why does the Secret Service teach their guys how to do defensive and offensive driving? Why? Because if you've never trained for it, you never thought about it. When it happens, you're probably going to have a meltdown. You're not going to have any idea what to do. If you train, you tend to react in accordance with that training so that you have some thought process, some muscle memory, and you're able to execute and make things work and not fall apart, not have a mental you know, meltdown, all important things. That's what training is. And what you're really talking about is training. You're training yourself and your family to be prepared in case of some eventuality that happens to go bad. Name the crisis, but you've trained for it. You know, you don't want to, I, I saw somebody, they're talking about hiring illegals uh, and others as as cops. Fine, whatever, you get in the debate about it, but can you imagine hiring cops off the street with absolutely no training, just give them a badge, you're gonna go, go for it, man. Oh my gosh, you know, you can not, I can't right. imagine what it'd be like, or you just hire military folks and you give them no basic training, no training in their job type, or a doctor, name your profession, pilots. Oh, I know something about that. You just hire a pilot off the street, hey, you ever flown before? No, but I've watched it on TV. I think, I, you know, I played video games. That should be pretty good. No, you train, right? And do they just put pilots, I'm going to talk on top of that without training how to do instrument approaches or handle emergency procedures and engine out and engine fire. No, they train so you can handle different scenarios, mostly mentally right up here, um, but also have some procedures and things to go through. And that's really what we're talking about. Right. Whether right. it's a crisis in your family or the profession that you're in, you train to be able to handle anything that may come up and have some background and knowledge on how you might step through the problem, whatever it is, just basic problem solving. So yeah, know, it's, it's a fascinating topic. Like I said, we could talk on that for <clears throat> hours. Alone, yeah, but no, we won't. I, I love the idea. I love the idea. All right. Well, uh, what about you? What, uh, I know last time we chatted, you were like, we, we kind of got a little bit into, um, some discussions about, uh, history, world history. We were talking about world war two, uh, the Battle of Midway and Wake and some of the things that were happening in the Pacific, some of the Providence that was going on there and other things. And we both have a fascination with that era of history. Um, so we can talk about that or whatever else. What else is on your mind? Let's talk about Midway because we really ran out of time. We did that, you know, in like the 92nd dash last time. And it's a fascinating one because you talk, you said the word Providence. And I, I mean, honestly, when you look at that battle of all of many of the battles, and like I said, I'm kind of a, a student of history that way of, especially World War II in the Pacific, just the way it worked out fascinates me personally. But the Battle of Midway is one that really kind of stands out in a lot of these different ones. And, and the reason is, if you look at how the U.S. was faring so far in the beginning stages of World War II, it was not well, uh, you know, not, not a, really anywhere, certainly not in the Pacific. Japan was just crushing us, right, from the Philippines to, you know, the plan to go all the way up and to take a few islands in, in Alaska, their plan to take Midway and eventually um, Hawaii. They never had any plans to really invade the U.S. They didn't have the, they knew they couldn't do that, but they could take so much territory and, for, and turn it into a fortress that they were hoping we would sue for peace. Right. That, that really was their plan. And if you go back to Admiral Yamamoto, that was uh, had a lot of his education in the U.S., he advised against the war. A lot of people think, you know, they were all a warring culture and, and it kind of was, um, you know, very militaristic at that time in Japan. But there were those that um, were voices, well, I guess you'd call of reason. And I would say Yamamoto was one of those. And when you listen to the things he said and what he wrote about it, 
he was very clear that we that Japan would not win a war with the U.S. based on size, population, right alone, but just natural resources, which is one of the reasons Japan went to war. They needed the natural resources, um, not just for their own island, but for an empire because they wanted to expand. So uh, Yamamoto, as I'm sure many of your um, guests know on the program, was the mastermind behind uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Also came up with the attack on Midway. And, you know, they were wildly successful in Pearl Harbor for a lot of different reasons. Um, how that played out, that's another one we could talk about that didn't go well for us. But Midway... And this is one of the fascinating parts of it. Michelle and I just watched the uh, imitation game a couple nights ago, and it was about the Enigma machine the Germans had come up with and how the, the Brits had cracked the code, which allowed us to do a whole lot of things, you know, in the battle in the Atlantic that otherwise, you know, it probably would have extended the war by a lot, right? Because we would have kept losing a lot more ships in the, in the convoys and many of the battles we did. So they, had, they broke the code early on. I think it was in 1943, 42, 43, somewhere in there. So anyways, we had broken the Japanese ciphers and the Japanese, of course, didn't know that. And so, you know, it really helps you in your battle plans going to war when you know what the bad guy is going to do, right? When if you know what your enemy's doing, you can plan pretty well, speaking of thinking through your, your plan. And they set up this thing on Midway, the, the code breaker, and I forget his name at this point. He was a lieutenant commander uh, in the Navy or a commander in the Navy, like a lieutenant colonel. And he suspected that Midway was where Japan was going to attack next. And there was all kinds of speculation on where they were going to go. And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's Midway. He was trying to convince the leadership. And they kept seeing AF as an alpha foxtrot pop up in the feeds with the Japanese code. And so he said, I think that is Midway. So they had, they, they sent a cable to Midway, uh, the military attachment, uh, you know, the attachment that was, that was there. And they said, hey, I want you to send us a false note that your, that your freshwater evaporator is broken. And so they did that. And then a short time later, there was a note that came in on the Japanese cipher codes because they, they could read them. And it said, AF's, you know, freshwater evaporator is broken. He's like, gotcha, it's Midway, because that was how everything was leaning. So that gave um, Nimitz and the rest of the, the, the uh, planning staff the ability to look at it and go prepare for Midway. Now, here's the, the setup. The Japanese had a massive fleet, right? We were down most of our battleships and capital ships at the time. But they, if you remember Pearl Harbor, um, we were very, very lucky because what happened was none of our carriers happened to be in Pearl Harbor when they attacked. And that was really what Yamamoto was after. He knew air power was going to you know, win the day in, in the Pacific with airplanes, as he was a big proponent of it, which is why they were building their flat tops. But none of the carriers were there. So Providence, again, was we didn't have any carriers that day lucky. So here's what's really cool about this. So because they broke the code, and it's amazing the Japanese did not figure this one out, they had a, a submarine coming in and they had a tender um, that was going to come in and meet. And the submarine was going to come up and it was going to have a, a aircraft that was going to, uh, one of the long range, uh, like amphibious type aircraft, was going to land, rendezvous with the submarine, was going to refuel it. It was going to go on and fly over Pearl Harbor to see if the aircraft carriers there take, you know, do reconnaissance and then report back. Because they had broken the code, they knew where this aircraft and the submarine was going to be. And they, they had a like a cruiser there or a destroyer. I forget what it was. So the submarine pops would go, uh-oh, you know, so they, that all falls apart, right? They can't do their long-range reconnaissance because guess what? The carriers were on the move. Our carriers were. So the only thing they didn't know was where the Japanese uh, we're going to, I said the only thing, but one of the things they didn't know is exactly where they were going to show up 
how they were going to approach Midway. And if, for those of you who don't know, Midway is many hundreds of miles to the west, northwest of Hawaii. And it was the Japanese island hopping strategy. And so they wanted Midway as a jumping off point to attack um, Hawaii and or, um, you know, eventually invade it. Because they figured if they could invade and take Hawaii, they would basically own the Pacific. The U.S. would be very difficult to, you know, start their island hopping campaign because that was a big base for the fleet. So they have two primary fleets, but they also had a diversion that this is when you've if you read about Alaska history, they had a diversionary attack come up to Alaska. That's where they did some of the invasions of the islands out there that right. you may have read about. At two and Kiska. Yeah. That was a diversion from that primary midway attack. Didn't really do much because we didn't put much effort into defending Alaska. They weren't too worried about that back then. And they knew where the real attack was, but they had two fleets. They had a massive invasion fleet with the troop carriers and battleships on it. And they had the attack fleet which had six aircraft carriers, all right, six. And so right before this, I know the time's going to come up to so you. Tell me when I got to stop. Um, we'll continue it. I don't know. I, it won't take too much longer. But right before that, we had the Battle of Coral Sea, another fascinating battle where we lost a carrier, right? But the Yorktown made it all the way back to Hawaii just before the Battle of Midway was taken off, right? It was getting ready to happen. And when the Yorktown pulled in with all those battle damage from the Battle of Coral Sea, it was, I mean, it was beat up bad and bomb, you know, whole bomb holes in the deck, all kinds of issues. And they pulled in and, and Admiral Nimitz looks at him and goes, how long to repair it? And they go, oh, sir, it's probably going to take us about, uh, you know, two months. He's like, well, what's the fastest? They said, oh, maybe three weeks. He's like, you got 72 hours. <laughs> he's like, he's like that's, that's one of our three carriers we have left that we need to defend against this, right? Right, right. So believe it or not, they turned that carrier out in, inside of three days. They fixed enough of it to get it operational, and they kicked that thing back out the door. So we had those carriers plus a very minuscule fleet of cruisers and destroyers. Didn't have a lot, right, to go against it. We never could have gone head-to-head fleet-wise. They, they'd have crushed it. They had battleships and cruisers. They had massive fleet out there. So this is all about air power. So Admiral Nimitz guesses and says, I think they're going to come in from the northwest. So he put his carrier fleets, they were a little bit spread out, but he put them out to the northeast. Um, so they'd be a couple hundred miles away from where he thought the Japanese were going to be so they could catch them. And here's again, back to Providence. You know, our carriers um, weren't in Pearl Harbor, right? We broke the code. We were able to stop the reconnaissance flight coming over, able to turn the Yorktown inside of three days that should have taken months to repair it. All this stuff comes, takes place. Here's the last really interesting. Well, there's two more pieces of provenance. So the Japanese, as they're coming down with their fleet are putting out reconnaissance planes, right? To, to get feelers out there in these different radiuses to go run into the U S fleet. If they see anything, U S of course is doing the same thing. And we have aircraft flying off of midway and they do spot eventually some stuff, but they can't tell if it's, um, the flat tops or not. They don't know which fleet it is. Is it the invasion fleet or was it the carriers? Because they wanted to attack the carriers and take them out. Then they would have basically free reign to go after everything else. So the one aircraft, Mike, this is why I go back to Providence, the one aircraft that was on the right radius that overflew a couple of our carriers where they were sitting had radio problems and could not radio it back to the fleet. So they didn't know, right? The one aircraft. Any other one and the entire Japanese fleet would have been all turned towards them and put six aircraft carriers worth of aircraft. We probably would have changed the course of the battle. Maybe not the long term, but it would have extended it by years. We probably would have ended up invading. Um, million lives lost, all the different stuff, right? So the one aircraft that, uh, that saw our fleet um, could not radio back. They didn't get it until they basically got back to the carrier. By then, the battle was on. 
that would have changed everything. So we launch our aircraft based on those position reports, off they go. And here's where it also gets interesting. Like I said, there's multiple, in my opinion, hands of Providence. The torpedo bombers ended up being first and they were all supposed to rendezvous and they didn't rendezvous together like they're supposed to. It's supposed to be the torpedo bombers that come in low, you know, at 100 feet, drop their torpedoes and hit the ships. Right. You got the dive bombers come in high, 15, 18,000 in fighters that are supposed to be there to protect them from the zeros to hopefully let the bombers and torpedo bombers get in and do their job. All of them were spread out. Nobody rejoined and where they're supposed to be at first go. That's going to be a terrible thing. As it turns out, it was a brilliant tactic, but not planned that way. The torpedo bombers get there first. And actually, many of them were start, they were beyond their bingo fuel, Mike. They were going to run out of gas, right? And they launched in different waves. And even towards the end of the night where some of them were going to come back at night. And I'll talk about that at the end. But they go out there and they're, they're not where they're supposed to be. The Japanese fleet had turned. Hold on a second. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. We're going to leave. We're going to leave everybody on a cliffhanger because I I can tell this is going to be a little bit longer. So we're going to cliffhang here for just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based, free thinking radio, Mike shower, our guest midway is our discussion. We're going to be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, we're in the break right now. This is, uh, I mean, I just, like I said, I'm just so fascinated and I love this topic so much. Um, Juno, uh, James Juno, Juno James in uh, YouTube says, if you have time, I'd like to hear his version of the advantage of the P-38 Lightning over uh, in the South Pacific. Um, and so we can just take this uh, during the break here. And if you got some thoughts on this, I know very little about this. I mean, I think it's kind of a fascinating aircraft, but uh, your your thoughts on that. P The P-38 had superior firepower, best firepower for a U.S. fighter um, in World War II. It had a 20 millimeter cannon as well as 50 cal. German aircraft had a 20 millimeter cannon, which is devastating in the aircraft side. That's still what we use today, just in a rotary cannon, right? So we have the um, rotary cannons on it, the Gatling gun, so-called, that fires you know, up to 6,000 rounds a minute. 20 millimeter, pretty big shell, uh, a lot of damage. Um, but the P-38 actually had that. So it had a lot of firepower in the nose. Here's the primary advantage of P-38. It had good range with drop tanks, which was important, but the P-51 did as well. But ask any pilot, Mike, if they want to be flying out over the Pacific Ocean for hours and hours and hours on a single engine. <laughs> the answer is going to be right, no. Right, right. Um, I do not. So the fact that it had a second engine on it um, is probably the primary advantage, really, because it um, had the backup, right? And they were over water for a long time. And so um, that was a big deal. Uh, you know, and even in the carrier, you know, those guys were flying over the water. That's what they do for a living. But they're mostly single engine aircraft. And that's always a problem. The Navy's always been a fan of two engine airplanes um, for that very reason, right? When they went to jets and a lot of them had two engines on them. So that's the primary advantage. It did have good range. Like I said, P-51 did too, but single engine. Um, They were air-cooled motors. It performed well. The P-51, which we did have some of the Pacific Theater, had some issues with humidity and all of that. So um, when you looked at the performance-wise, the way the P-38 ran and how how it was designed was a better fit in the Pacific Theater. Um, And so that's really probably the best advantage of the P-38. It was pretty maneuverable, although the P-51 was better. There was more maneuverable fighters. The Japanese Zero... 
again, talking about, you know, something I know quite a bit about, uh, including I've talked to a number of pilots of these aircraft in World War II over the years. Zero was a very superior airplane from a maneuverability standpoint, but part of that was because it was very light. The U.S. aircraft came in and they had, you know, they had armor plating, they had self-sealing fuel tanks, they had a lot of different stuff on them that uh, made them heavier aircraft, not quite as maneuverable. But um, then again, you know, the Zero got hit by one shell, the thing blew apart, right, on fire and it was done. Right. You know, it was kind of a glass, it, it was a glass cannon yeah. kind of thing, right, yeah. So there are, you know, pros and cons to everything, but the P-38 was a, was a very good aircraft and a very good fit for um, the Pacific Theater in World War II. So it was used extensively there and not much in Europe. The opposite was for the Jug, the P-47, um, was a fantastic airplane in Europe because it did a lot of ground attack stuff and the Germans were shooting back and it had that big radio-cooled engine that could run on almost nothing. And it got hit by a lot of ground fire and keep on flying, plus a big airplane. The, the P-51 was a very good dogfighter up at higher altitude, but with the P, when the P-51 did ground attack, and if it got any kind of small arms fire, even a rifle that hit its cooling because it was liquid-cooled engine underneath the aircraft, that thing would lose its coolant and it was done. Engine was going to quit and pilot was not coming home. So the P-47 could take hit. It was kind of like the original A-10. thing could take hit after hit after hit, just keep on running. So um, they all have their niche, right, where they're really good. It's kind of like you try to master of all trades, jack of none or jack of all trades, master none, got that backwards. Um, that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, you can have a very specific aircraft that may or may not do well, and each one of them fell into a good role based on, you know, what its strengths right. um, versus weaknesses were. But the Japanese had a really good airplane. The Zero was a fantastic airplane um, when you really looked at what it was able to do um, compared to other aircraft at the time. It yeah. was. Well, and, and I think that was one of the things that really played, America played into their strengths there is that they did create more niche aircraft, I think, than almost anybody else. I mean, that were specific mission, specific craft. Um, and, uh, and that was, I think that was the flexibility of that was one of our strengths in that regard. The other was just numbers, Mike. And I think, I know we've mentioned it before, but at the heyday, the U.S. was producing things that are mind-boggling today. I think 44, 1944 was our peak of production. And I believe in that year, we produced somewhere around 144,000 aircraft alone. We were producing 12,000 aircraft a month off production lines in just the United States. We were building a Liberty ship. I believe one was rolling off the line every hour. So the amount of things we were producing at that time was um, was staggering when you think of it. And that's why Japan couldn't even come close to keep. We were producing more than the rest of the world put together just about at that point. Yeah. So, well, and um, y Yamamoto, is, Yamamoto is quoted as having a lot of different, you know, thoughts on this kind of stuff. Like you said, he was the one that basically argued against it, even though he was the planner of Pearl Harbor. He argued against that vociferously, like, no, don't do this. This is not a, this is a mistake kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and, you can't win long term. You'll yeah. lose. Yeah. So uh, anyway, fantastic. Uh, thank you. Uh, we're going to jump back into it here uh, with State Senator Mike Shower. We've been talking about Midway. This is just kind of a, a, a again, a hang session. I love this kind of discussion and this talk. Um, now we prioritize producing inefficient cars, says Don. <laughs> you know, hey. She's not wrong. She's not, yeah, she's not wrong. I mean, Try building an airport these days. All right, we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Bay's Free Thinking Radio. Here we go. Okay. 
Uh, we're continuing now. We were just talking with State Senator Mike Shower, kind of walking us through some interesting pieces of history here. The Battle of Midway. Uh, we were just getting to the point to where uh, the Japanese patrol looking for the Americans found the Americans, but through Providence was unable to radio back to the main carrier group to let them know that they were coming. Americans initiated the, the attack and they were supposed to they were supposed to gather together and group together for a mass attack before they did, but that didn't happen. They ended up being all spread out over the uh, all over the the AO, and uh, but that actually worked to their advantage. And Mike was just going to walk us through that part. Yep. So there we are, and I will make one comment because we talked about P thirty eight, but the you we were talking about production and Donna Ardoin saying, "Well, now we just produce inefficient cars in America," which made me laugh because she's not wrong. But the P-51, to give an example, was, and this is not the whole story, but just on the on the fly, the P-51 was essentially built on the back of a napkin. And from that napkin drawing to the first aircraft flying was three months. Three months. The first time the F-22 and the F-23 flew were around 1989, 1990. We didn't do operational testing on it until 2004. It took almost 15 years to give you an idea wow. of how much we've changed and how we're our own worst enemy. Anyways, moving on. So... Back to World War II and Midway. So some of our aircraft get over the point where the Japanese were supposed to be. They're not there. And a destroyer had been left behind um, to do something. I forget it was having a problem. I don't remember exactly what it was. But they kind of see that and they follow. There's oil slick, something. They follow that. Some of the aircraft were getting to their bingo fuel, so-called, where they got to turn around and go back to the carrier. They're, they're going to potentially run out and not make it back. And one of the flight leaders goes, no, look, there's an oil slick. Oh, look, they go a little, there's a wake. There's a destroyer. It's pointing that way. And he's like, can we make this? And everybody's like, yeah, man, let's go. Because they were, you know, hey, we got to do this. We're at war. So they were, you know, these guys took big risk. And so they did. They followed it. And that, sure enough, that pointed them right at the Japanese fleet. Again, <laughs> the amount of things that come together are amazing in this story. And so, like I said, now you've got several waves of aircraft u.s aircraft from fighters although they really weren't much of in this battle but the dive bombers and the torpedo bombers and they're coming in there disparately they're separated in different things now if you have one big attack come in at once you've got the spotters and the japanese um, aircraft the zeros that were maintaining cap you know their combat air patrol over the fleet um, to come in and they can attack the dive bombers and everybody kind of coordinated well what happened was is just how it turned out. The torpedo bombers got there first. They're coming in low. They're coming in slow. They get spotted, and all the zeros go, whoo, off they do. They dive after them. We're going to get a kill. So they dove down the deck, and they're attacking. Those torpedo bombers came in, and we lost dozens of them, Mike, and only a few people survived. Um, one of them, and his name escapes me at the moment, floated in the water for a day or two after the, but watched the whole battle and was able to report him because he was in the water floating as the fleets around him getting destroyed later. Uh, gets picked up and tells a story. But all the torpedo bombers either got shot down, only a few of them made it out, and they drew torpedoes and not one of them hit. One of the admirals on board was quoted later as saying they were like samurai, these pilots, because they kept coming in no matter what, and they were all getting shot down, but they kept attacking. Now, here's what's interesting. The admiral in charge of the fleet, once they saw the Zeros doing this, he's like, get my combat air patrol back above the fleet, trying to recall the fighters back. But the Zeros are down, chasing, you know, trying to get the kill, do their thing. This is that hand of God coming in, in my opinion. Now, at this time, this is when our dive bombers show up, 15 to 18,000 feet. They show up overhead. And the next thing the Japanese know, these dive bombers are, you know, now attacking the carriers, all four of them, the four primary in, in formation. And they come in and they start dropping their bombs and they get hits. And so when the, when the first big wave is done, Mike, essentially three of the four carriers are stunk, 
for all practical purposes. Um, and we've wiped out their, their primary carrier fleet, their heavy carriers. And they're able to get some, some aircraft off. They're able to hit the Yorktown again. Eventually we lose the Yorktown, finally gets sunk. This, air, this aircraft carrier just, we had to scuttle it with our own destroyers and torpedoes eventually because it was sinking, but not quite. That, air, that ship was amazing. If you look at the history of it alone, it did not want to go down. But um, somebody was making a point as well. When this happened, they were, and this is the, another part of the Providence, the Admiral had made the decision um, that after the first wave of the, the land strike on Midway, because they had dropped with you know, land bombs and, and the fusing is different, then they came back and they said, hey, we need a second attack. So he's making the decision to switch to, to back to land from sea, because when the next wave of aircraft he had set up to attack the U.S. aircraft carriers, right? And he, so he starts switching them from, you know, torpedoes, et cetera, to bombs. But in the middle of that, then they get the report when the airplane comes back. No, there's a U.S. carrier. So now they're scrambling to undo all that stuff. All that stuff is sitting around, not in the bunkers, not where it's supposed to be. It's all out in the decks. And that's when we hit them. And so not only did we hit them with the right timing and, and our dive bombers come in and unmolested, but we hit them on the decks, Mike, when they were just torpedoes and bombs and stuff all over the decks. And it just caused massive conflagrations. Eventually hit the last one and sink it. And so I'm just doing this kind of rushing because of time here. All of these things take place where they do have a counterattack on us, but it's not too effective. We lose one carrier, but we essentially wipe out their carrier fleet, Mike, in this thing. And when you looked at all of the different things that had to happen for this, obviously breaking the code was huge because we wouldn't have known without it. But then once the battle engaged, all these different little pieces had to take place. And every one of them just worked out in our favor to where that kind of changed the course of the war. Because at that point, that was really, in essence, the last offensive move of Japan in the World War II. From that point on, we started kind of shrinking. It wasn't long after that, we're hitting Guadalcanal, we start the island hopping campaign, and we start pushing back. Um, and that's because at that point, they really didn't have much they could do without their carriers, and they didn't have the ability to build them like we were. I mean, we were at the point, Mike, I think we were putting out a couple carriers a month by the end of World War II, a month, right? So. Um, the fleet in Okinawa was one of the largest fleets ever assembled. And I think there was like 24 aircraft carriers there and like, you know, 16 battleships and this, I mean, it was just, wow. you look out and you know, the oceans covered in ships everywhere, but it was, that was the change, you know, a couple of years later. Anyways, point was that's all, all in there, but it was a fascinating battle. If you've never read, read, if you have never read um, the battle of Midway, it's a great book to read. Um, it's just, it, it, points out all these little different pieces of it. And um, it really did change the course of World War II in the Pacific for us and what happened because that led to a quicker time when we used the, the nuclear weapons that saved us from having to invade that would have killed, they estimated another million US soldiers killed and injured in countless Japanese lives. What may have changed in world history if we had not, if the Battle of Midway did not turn out how it was, it might've changed so many things. Um, right. So yeah. you ever read another one and we won't talk about it today. It's called Assault in Norway. It's where they went and, and uh, basically damaged the heavy water plant in Norway. And it's a fascinating story about the commandos that did that because it basically put the Germans back many months because that was the race. Right. If the Germans get it, they're going to use nuclear weapons. If we get it, we, you know, whoever. And um, there's just these fascinating battles in World War Two of these individual things that took place that on the whole don't seem like much. But when you put them in the jigsaw puzzle of timelines and look back, they probably changed the course of world history.
Yeah. Just these little individual things because yeah. of what would have happened had those things not taken place. It is a fascinating time in history. And to see the might of America and America come together and be unified like that is <clears throat> inspiring to see what happened and to see what we could do. And it was right. The might, <clears throat> the industrial might of the U.S. was what really played the biggest part in uh, in the ultimate victory in World War II. We were just basically outproducing everybody at that point and we were going to do it and once we were up you know you make us mad that's the that's the thing we there's a reason why we became uh you know the world superpower in that regard mike shower uh thank you my friend for coming on board and joining us today it was uh it was that's fun i enjoyed that that was that's a quick hour right there it goes fast mike and uh you know i see some of the comments they want to know about strategy and politics there's plenty of time for politics it's quiet it's summer let's have a little fun <laughs> yeah. i enjoy talking about this stuff because it's cool so um let's do this a little more often we don't have to talk politics all the time sometimes no, it's fun to do no. something different. sometimes it's fun to do something a little bit different and uh you know we can't always we can't always be hip deep in the mire you know there you go uh thanks so much i appreciate it mike shower hold the line folks we're out of time We will see you tomorrow for Thursday, maybe Firearms Thursday. I'm off on Friday. We'll see you then. Yeah, I know people get bent out of shape because you're like, not talking about politics and everything. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Sorry. I, you know. Goodbye. Exactly. Goodbye, Felicia. I, you know, I just, I, sometimes you got to do something that's just a little more fun. And it is fascinating to, uh, to re to re this makes me want to watch the battle of midway again the the old movie you know the old classic somebody earlier said i think chris said that he had just watched that a while ago uh just watched that movie battle of midway a few times it's um it's you know it's interesting to see that i've stood on the shores of guadalcanal uh and that's humbling to watch that i mean we've been talking about the air war but then the marine corps and the ground war um it's uh, you know, it is, oh man, it is, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy to see, not Guadalcanal, I'm at Iwo Jima, sorry, is where I stood uh, on the, on the shores of Iwo Jima. Uh, Guadalcanal is b- brutal too, Mike. Yeah. Um, Iwo Jima, Okinawa, uh, Kwajalein, I mean, the, the battles the Marines had rivaled anything you saw in Europe, if, if not worse. Um, some of the brutality that you saw in that island hopping campaigns, those are fascinating. Each one of those as a, as a, um, study point by itself is fascinating not just the bigger picture of it but it's it is definitely fascinating and and whoever said they watched midway it's the one that was done in the early 70s um with charlton heston it actually does a pretty good job of sticking to the the true timeline and i thought they did you know it's it's worth watching a lot of what i talked about today you can see just watching that uh two-hour movie they made back then but it was done pretty well it's uh it's a fascinating period of time to watch and then of course uh the whole campaign in Attu and Kiska, even though it was a diversionary tactic, um, it still was. Uh, there was some brutal things that happened there as well. Um, if you, uh, I can't remember the name of the book now, but I got I got a cop. I don't think it's in print anymore. Um, that talks about the battle for Attu and Kiska. Um, oh, it just it it it. I, I can't remember the name of the book. Anyway. That's also a fascinating campaign, especially since it's the only time that they've ever actually reached U.S. soil and occupied U.S. soil. Uh, it's the first time we'd been invaded since uh, 
I think the War of eighteen twelve, Thousand Mile War. Thank you, Brian. That's what it was called. Thousand Mile War. The Thousand Mile. But you're still talking. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, fascinating time, fascinating topic. So good stuff. Um, Mike, thanks so much, my friend. It's good to see you. We'll talk to you next week, maybe. I think next week is uh, should be good. I apologize about last week. I got called out on a little FedEx trip to Asia. Speaking of Asia. Um, and issues from World War II, but uh, I should be around next week. So hopefully we can continue and find another fun topic to talk about. Whatever it is, just let me know. I can bring it to the table. <clears throat> we'll talk about something. And maybe we do another What If Wednesday. I don't know. It's uh, Like I said, that's a fascinating topic for me as well, just because I want people to at least think about it and plan something, have some kind of plan. That's that's all I'm asking. So, all right, Mike, thank you so much for coming on board. We'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Take care, Brother Church. All right, folks. Uh, that brings us up to the time. we got to go. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on board. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day, my friends. Be kind, love one another, and live well. We'll see you then. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show